Listen, Lois. Your parents filled me in. Apparently some girl named Dawn was possessing me. Yeah, well, that's the short version. Yeah, well, that's the last time I'll ever do my hair. Look, I'm, I'm sorry you got pulled into all this. Don't worry about it. I never quite made it to my own senior prom. But this punch could use a little kick. You know, I was thinking since you did get all dressed up and you came here with me, you should at least get a dance out of it. Chivalry noted, but I'm not the one you wanted to dance with, Clark. She is. Go. Somebody save me indeed. Hello and welcome to Farm to Fable, a Smallville rewatch fan cast. I am your forever host, Michael, and I'm also the host of the RPG Academy podcast, where I talk mostly about role-playing games, but all tabletop gaming in general. I also organize a three-day gaming convention held in Dayton, Ohio, each November. Before we get started, please be advised that Farm to Fable may include adult language and reference adult behavior. Please consider us PG-13 in regards to content acceptability for your young ones. Also, this is your spoiler warning. While we will focus on each episode week to week, our discussions may and likely will reference the entire series run and the wider Superman mythos. You can email our show at smallvillefancast at gmail.com with any comments, concerns, or questions. Please follow us on Twitter at Farm2Fable. And join our Facebook group page at Smallville Farm to Fable. With all of that out of the way, let's meet today's co-host. Hey, it's good to be back on this uh, back on the podcast here. My name is Connor. This is uh, the second time you've heard from me. I live in Washington. I'm a uh, I work in the investigators department for the Washington State Criminal Justice Training Commission. I've been, you know, I'm not a big Superman fan in terms of the mythos, but I've watched all of Smallville at this point, and I'm excited to talk about this one. Well, I'm excited to have you back again. We had some. Scheduling issues, but we were both able to be pretty flexible and I got you in. So I'm really excited to, to get that worked out. And I'm excited to jump into the show. You've been here before, so you kind of know how things work. Uh, so we're going to start as we always do with our pass the torch question. So last week, Brian had asked if you were to be split into two, this relates to last episode when that happens to Lex, and the best parts of you and the worst, best parts and worst parts were split off into two separate people. What is one thing that you think the best version of you would do? So this doesn't assume you have superpowers. You're just, you're, you're you, but all your best features are in one and, and you're absent all your worst features. What do you think you would do in that? You know, my family got a puppy recently that I've just like absolutely uh, fallen in love with. So I think if I were to split, split into two, like Lex was last week, I think I would just adopt a whole bunch of puppies and just like open <laughs> my entire home and just take care of them. You know, just just quit my job, quit everything and just take care of those puppies because I'm a, I'm a big fan right now. You know, that's not a bad one. You know, I've, I've been sitting with this question a little longer than you. I sent it to you pretty early because it's, it's a thinker. And I've been thinking about a lot and I, I want to have a really good answer, but I don't know that I have a great one. You know, I do spend probably 20 to 30 hours a week on my podcast. As odd as that may seem to anyone listening, I do that because I love it. There's very little money. There's very little recognition, but I do enjoy it. I do enjoy the little bit of money and the little bit of recognition I get. So I would like to think that if I was actually all the best parts of me, all the most altruistic aspects of me, I would take some of the time that I currently spend on my podcast and then devote that to something a little bit more global, like a humanitarian, like maybe I would go to a soup kitchen or a you know, homeless shelter, find some way to use the time that I currently spend rewatching Smallville 
and talking to people about it. And all the time I spend on my podcast about role-playing games and stuff, which all that's good. I think it's a healthy thing to add to the universe. But if I'm being honest with myself, I could probably spend that time and do a little bit more good in the universe. And I think that's probably what I would do. And, you know, that you can do a lot of good in life, but also, you know, Smallville Rewatch Podcast is kind of a big thing right now. You know, Tom and Michael, a lot, a lot of people are saying Tom and Michael started the podcast because of you, you know. So maybe, yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. And our Smallville superlative for this week is best car destruction. We have a pretty decent car crash stunt here when Don drives off uh, the road into the gorge. And so we're just asking for uh, your suggestions for what the best car destruction is, seasons one through four. As always, there'll be a link in the show notes. I'll post it on Reddit, Facebook, and Twitter. And please send in your nominations. So we're going to the show. I actually do want to take one quick second. I got an email um, last week I want to um, talk about. So in the episode that just aired, Lucy, uh, at the end of the episode, there's a moment where after Lois and Clark kind of have their little uh, friendship moment at the barn, Clark looks into the telescope. He looks into the sky and there's an image that looks like two astral bodies hit each other. And then they both continue on their own separate way. And I kind of had a thought about what that might be. And my guest Bobby had an idea what it might be. But I asked the audience, like, hey, you may have an idea. So Ryan wrote in and he thinks that it is possibly foreshadowing to Zod's minions showing up next season, season five, because it does somewhat relate to like the you know Phantom Zone mirror getting exploded and them being freed from the original movies. So maybe, and that I mean, that's as much of anything else as I can think of, but I uh, thank you, Ryan, for writing that in. I appreciate it. All right. So with that out of the way, let's open our small world yearbook and see who our notable guest stars are. Get me a yearbook. So this episode, we got Erica Durance as Lois Lane, Camille Mitchell as Sheriff Nancy Adams, and Jesse Hutch, who plays Billy in this one, but also played Troy twice in earlier episodes. And we also have Beatrice Rosen as Don Stiles, and Bud the Dog comes back as Shelby. <laughs> so now it's time to grab a copy of this week's Daily Planet, check the bylines, and see who brought us this episode. I mean, that's a story that could land you a byline on the front page of the Daily Planet. So we're here today to discuss Season 4, Episode 18, Spirit. The date of original airing was April 20th, 2005. The character of Superman was created by Jerry Seigel and Joe Schuster, and Smallville was created by Alfred Goff and Miles Miller. The writer for this episode was Luke Shalas. I will also note that I've been listening to the Talkville podcast, and they always refer to him as Al. So I think that might be his preferred name. So I want to try to remember that going forward and say Al Goff, but it's just I've said it Alfred now for so long, it may take me a while. The director for this one is Whitney Rancic, who is directing his first episode of An Eventual 10. Excellent. So, Connor, are you now ready to explore these squatchy caves and get a glimpse of where we came from as well as where we may be going? Yeah, I'm excited for this one. Let's get it. Let's do it. A stunned Chloe is nominated for prom queen and tries to enlist her reluctant friends Clark and Lana to attend the dance with her. Chloe's rival for queen, Don Stiles, crashes her car into a ravine filled with kryptonite. And that's great and all, but it doesn't tell us what we really need to know. So let's dig a little deeper into these caves and ask the important questions. Does this episode feature a vehicle crashed or otherwise destroyed? As you just heard me say, yes. <laughs> Does this episode feature someone falling unconscious for any reason? Yes. Does this episode feature someone in a hospital bed? Early and often, yes. Does this episode feature Clark telling or showing someone besides his forever crush Lana his powers and abilities? Yes. Follow up, does that person die, lose their memory, or otherwise become unable to share this knowledge, or do they become a confidant of Clark? Well, they were dead when they learned it, oddly, which we'll talk about <laughs> later. But uh, but yeah, they're, they're unable to share it, I guess, after the episode's over. All right. Does this episode feature Clark using his powers irresponsibly? Absolutely. <laughs> does Clark casually break an inner business or residence? 
No, not for this one. Does this episode feature a moment where the character travels a seemingly long way to have a short conversation and then leave? Yes. Does this episode feature a conversation between two people where one person has their back to the other and is weirdly talking over the shoulder? Yes. Was the person talking weirdly over their shoulder? Lex. Actually, all the way around. This time it was uh, Jason talking over Lex's shoulder. Oh. Does this episode feature a particularly thirsty moment for one of our more, more of our characters? <laughs> yes. This is one of the thirstiest episodes of the series. <laughs> Does this episode feature a cheeky bit of dialogue that hints at or directly references the water Superman mythos? No, not this time. Does this episode feature a moment with a needle drop where any contemporary song perfectly sums up a character's thoughts and or desires? A couple times, yeah, I think so. And finally, does this episode feature a classic Smallville leap of logic wherein the characters jump to a correct conclusion around who or what is behind a mysterious event or otherwise solves a problem with little to no actual information to base such conclusions? Yeah, and I'll, compl- I'll complain about that one later. <laughs> Excellent. So now that we have a clear roadmap of where we're going, let's use our X-ray vision and look closely at this week's episode. So at our cold open, we're at the senior prom where Lifehouse, of course, plays. Chloe knocks Jonathan Kent unconscious and then plans to burn the whole school down. So right off the jump, I'll say I love this episode. It is absolutely yes. a banger beginning to end. It's hilarious at moments, just so much fun. This cold open is really effective because it's pretty much dialogue free until the very end. It's just the music's playing. Then we see Chloe and she's already got like her mascaras run. She's wearing the tiara and she knocks out Jonathan Kent wordlessly. She goes to the, you know, the boiler room and she's about to like, it's like a carry scene basically. She's flooding the boiler room with, I guess, oil. And then she's going to light it all on fire. And then it just kind of stops. Like that's how it ends. It is a super effective cold open. I absolutely loved it. I will give you a second to talk in, in just a moment. Uh, but we do open with a needle. I don't know if it's a needle drop because there's a live band performing at the senior prom. The theme is look to the stars. And there's at this moment, they're singing come back down. And there really isn't a strong lyrical connection, but we don't know what's happening yet. But we will circle back to the song when we get to there in real time. And I, I think I wrote some notes there, so we'll probably come back to it. Uh, but there is an allusion in the song to like coming back down and landing on your feet. So it's sort of like a flying thing, but, but I don't know. Okay, so what do you want to talk about this cold open? Yeah, really effective cold open, like you were saying. Like you were talking about Lifehouse earlier. I don't even know if they were necessarily going for a song that has strong miracle connection necessarily. I mean, you know, obviously the you and me scene at the end, which is just iconic, you know, that has a strong miracle connection. But I really think that was more like, hey, we're running through Lifehouse's catalog right now. You know, we're showing you some of their songs. So you can go listen to it later. I mean, that is, that was a WB thing that they like to do a lot. So I think that was more of what it was than really trying to like uh, foretell anything about the scene. And like you said, the um, the scene itself was really effective. It reminded me of Carrie, like you said. I was just curious because I, it was an effective open, like you said, but I didn't love them using it. Like, it, I guess it does a good job because it gets you kind of like hooked on what the episode's about. But I didn't love the structuring of it where they, like, really? they kind of, did, yeah, did, did or where they showed you the scene and then the next like three, four acts of it were just like flashbacks leading up to that scene. I don't, I mean, you, you could disagree and we could talk about it. But for me, like, I almost wish they kind of left that and had it be like a, a cliffhanger heading into maybe like the final act of it. I almost uh, wish they'd need something else for the cold open. Yeah, it is interesting. And again, I don't know the answers to these questions. Maybe Tom and Michael will tell us when they get there. Um, in three years. yeah, In three years. Eventually. But um, when you, when they get back to the moment in the episode, it's, it's realistically, it's the same scene. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's almost exactly, there might be a few little small editing things, but for the most part, it's just that same scene. 
So not only is this a really small cold opening, but in a lot of ways, it's not even really a cold open like we're used to because it's such a small scene. It's self-contained and it, it happens again later in the episode. Like they could have not had this and the episode still would have worked, but we wouldn't have had that that you know um, propel, propulsive force at the beginning. So it almost makes me wonder if they didn't have a cold open for this episode or if they filmed one and it didn't work. And so they decided to do this because this seems like a production decision rather than like a writing decision. Because I just don't know why they wouldn't have written a different cold open. Maybe they introduce us to Don earlier, you know, something like that. So, because you also feel like this episode flies by. It is such a quick episode. Like, there's no downtime. It's just right into everything. And I think because it's actually technically a shorter episode. Yeah. I mean, you know, despite what I just said about not loving the structure, I will give them points for trying something different because it's kind of like you were saying, like, so many times especially in these early, you know, high school uh, seasons, the cold open is, oh, here's how the Freak of the Week got their powers. You know, you saw that like almost all the time for much in season one, especially. So yep. I appreciate them, you know, even though I don't think it quite like landed the way they were intending, I appreciate them trying to do uh, something different structurally. You know, they, they made an effort, which I appreciate. All right. Um, so if you don't mind, will you read the first act summary there, please? Absolutely. Uh, one day earlier than our cold open, we find Chloe has written a scathing article about voting for prom royalty. Lana isn't going to prom, and neither is Clark, but Chloe hopes they both will change their mind. Mean girl queen Dawn gets dumped by her boyfriend, and while driving and searching for a replacement, wrecks her car, and later her spirit possesses Martha. Again, we get the Chloe has written that scathing article about how electing prom royalty is an archaic and elitist ritual whose time has come and gone. I do really like the line where Chloe says, well, this is how I see it. Homecoming is for jocks, graduation's for parents, and prom is the rite of passage that's for all of us. It's supposed to be a culmination of four years of memories. Why do we have to ruin it with the pinnacle of a popularity contest? And I, I agree with her. I, I, didn't, I actually have kind of a weird prom story. I might get back into it. I don't know. But I don't remember if they voted for king and queen at my prom. I don't remember. It's a long time ago for me. But it's something I've seen in TV shows since I was a small kid. So I think it's something that used, used to happen. But I do think that's kind of a silly thing to do. It is silly. I mean, my high school definitely didn't do anything like that with Prom King and Queen. I think they would have seen it as, you know, exclusionary, I guess is the right word. Um, I, yeah, that to me is an odd tradition. And to be fair, I, I don't think a lot of schools do that anymore. Like my brother's in high school, his high school, I don't think does that either. But yeah, that struck me as kind of odd that they would do that. Yeah. It's also weird, and this is jumping ahead, but in the pilot, I think it was a pilot. Clark watches Lana from the from the the dance or the prom again. I, I don't I remember this pilot. Well, I, Lana and Whitney. Lana, sorry, Lana and Whitney. That was the pilot. Yeah, yeah. There, there's a prom king and queen because yeah. Whitney was prom king. And this one, they don't do the the male version. They just do the queen. So I, it seems like probably because it does like they would have had to have like made that make sense, and they didn't have time for it. But it's just like a weird thing. But anyway. I completely agree, Lana. You and Jason should not go to the prom. Yes, the coach <laughs> who got fired because he was dating a student and that student should not go to prom. Absolutely not. I mean, I have so many thoughts about the Lana and Jason relationship. We'll get to it when it's relevant. <laughs> but I mean, for, for I mean, for Jason to even go at the end, you know, we'll get there as well. But like, yeah, for Lana and Jason to go, that's, uh, you can't have that. That'd be really yeah, bad. No, no. So there's, there is a song playing underneath these whole scenes, and I could not make out what was being said. I didn't see any subtitles, but according to the internet, the song is called Higher Mathematics by Split Habit, and the lyrics could very well be tied to like getting dressed up for an event like the prom. Uh, there's some lines, cameras, makeup, you're glamorous, and then she makes a pose like Marilyn Monroe. 
She's got a lot of clothes. She comes to all the shows so she can see my friend and hang out with your band. Again, my apologies to whoever wrote those lyrics. I, I slaughtered them, but I think that's what that might be there. And Chloe does name drop that Lex got Lifehouse. That like that's who paid for Lifehouse to come because even back in two thousand five, they were probably too busy to be playing a rural Kansas senior prom. I can't imagine. Yeah, I mean, I feel like two thousand five was when Lifehouse was at their biggest. So yeah, for them to go to so much of a random high school, uh, it makes <laughs> sense. You know, Lex Luthor has pretty much unlimited power. We can just assume that he can just yeah. get anything to happen pretty much in this season. Yeah, I, I wish I had the power of a billionaire, right? Mm. Mm-hmm. So we get our mean girl entrance of Dawn Styles, and I understand how TV works, but part of me really wishes that she wasn't, like we didn't meet her this episode. If she's the mean queen who runs the school, why have we not seen her over the last four years? Again, I understand why, but I kind of wish they would have picked someone who had been in the show before and brought them back or something, because it just, it feels very disingenuous when you're clearly like, this is your guest star of the week and we've never seen them before but they're supposed to be someone who's been in the lives of all of our characters for four years and they're clearly not i mean that's a consistent issue with small though though i mean remember tina in season one who's supposed to be like lot best friend but we never saw her until like the first episode she was in it's like it's stuff like that where it's like i mean you know obviously you know it's episodic television they're trying yeah. to you know think of storylines at the moment so like i can give them a pass but yeah don't act like she's like the most popular girl at the school if we've yeah four years never seen her before right 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 so again, Chloe was kind of mortified to find that she has also been nominated for prom queen. And uh, we see a poster with the three of them up there. Chloe, there's the Don, and there's another lady named Paige DeJong. And I had to believe that this is like someone on the show, a production designer. I could not find that name. There's a whole bunch later. I did find people's names are name dropped here and there are people that made the show. So I don't know who that was supposed to be or why they're in there. I'm hoping someday maybe we'll find out. I really loved Lana's little curtsy when she says your highness to Chloe, kind of the end of that scene. It just felt very fun and genuine. It was a small moment, but I really, really enjoyed that from Kristen. It's so nice when they actually give Kristen stuff to do. I mean, so often they kind of like relegate her to, you know, the certain like, I don't know, stereotypes or like the certain archetype, I guess Alana is supposed to fill in the show. But yeah, when they actually give Chris stuff to do, I, I think I think people disparage her acting too much. Like, I think she does a great job when she's giving good material to work with. Yeah, yeah I agree. I mean, again, I've said so many times, they, they do the thing where they linger on her face just a little too long. Mm-hmm. But, you know, because Chloe and Chris, and, or excuse me, Chloe and Lana are supposed to be really good, if not best friends. Like, you know, at this point, she was living with her for a while before she moved to Paris. Now she has her own place. But like we were supposed to believe that they felt like they were sisters. I think in season three, they, they kind of said that to each other, like, you know, you're like the sister I never had. So it's nice that we get to see a scene with them every now and then where they're joking and laughing and, and they seem like they actually like each other and they're not just there because Clark's in between them and, or something, you know? Yeah. We get, I'm not a big fan of this whole Jason Lex scene, this, this whole episode. It's, to me, it's by far the weakest part. So we cut to what a, Apparently is the outer edges of the Luther mansion grounds where a body has been found by the gardener. And we find ID that it's Bridget Crosby. I think we've mentioned this recently. She was supposedly given one of the stones of power and was supposed to give it to Clark. And then after Dr. Swan died, Clark tried to find her. And then like her, her life had been scrubbed from the internet. Like you couldn't even find that she existed anywhere. And now she turns up dead on Lex's property. Jason just happens to be there. And again, it seems very clear that Jason is overacting his, his shock at seeing this. Lex? Oh my God. 
Jason, what are you doing here? I came to talk to you about some reports, and then I saw security running out of the mansion. But I know that Jensen Ackles is a good enough actor that this is clearly an intentional thing he's doing. And it's kind of funny, but just the way this works out throughout the entire episode, I'm not a fan. Yeah, I mean, I, I just when it comes to the whole like season long Jason arc, you know, I, I get that Jensen Ackles ended up going to Supernatural. Absolutely the right career decision. You know, he killed it on there, but it really hurt the season as a whole, like what they ended up having to do with Jason. Because if I remember, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you're more educated about this time. Wasn't Jason supposed to be like a recurring character throughout yes. multiple seasons? Yeah, yeah. So From my research, when he was hired, he was going to be a recurring multiple season foil for Clark, love interest for Lana. And I'm sure eventually it would have went dark, but I don't think they'd plan on it being a one season thing. And even then, like, it seems like I, I would, I would love to, for someone to tell me when they knew and when they had to start writing towards it. Because they there's like a good you know two thirds of the season, and then it switches. And like this episode is when it really really switches. Like well the last couple I should say, and it, it feels to me like they didn't know for sure he was leaving. I think last episode I had read that that was the episode he was missing because he was actually filming the pilot. So up until like this moment in the show, he may not have known that he was going to leave. Like the pilot didn't even get filmed yet. But I think they knew he was leaving because they just, the turn happened so fast and it's so downhill from there, in my opinion. They had to have, I mean, it was instantaneous. Like he just went, you know, early in the season, he went from like this just like goofy, just boyfriend of Lana's to this like murderer. And like, I, it was really just off-putting almost. And yeah, I, I agree with you. This is the worst part of the episode. They they really, in my opinion, should have put in a different episode because it just, it didn't fit with, I guess, the tone of the rest of the episode at all. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, so we get a scene with Chloe and Clark in the torch. and. Clark kind of explains that Chloe is the boycott of the popularity contest. Like that's why she's up there. I don't know. Are you familiar with the movie Brewster's Millions? No, I can't say I am. So it's, I believe it's an early eighties comedy with Richard Pryor and John Candy. And I have not watched it in probably 20 years. And I'm sure it has some very problematic content, you know, that time period, those, those actors now. So I'm not saying go watch it, but I have very fond memories of that movie. And essentially this is a long story. That means not to nobody, but I love the movie. Anyways, so Brewster inherits $30 million from his um, great uncle, who was a white guy. That was one of the jokes. And if he can spend $30 million in 30 days, but have nothing to show for it, no assets, nothing in his name, and he can't tell anyone what he's doing, then he gets $300 million. So the whole movie is him trying to find a way to waste money without owning things. So he like rents a building and then rents, like I tell the company to like furnish it, but it's only a rental. He buys a very expensive postage stamp and then actually mails a letter with it, stuff like that. But one of the big things he does to waste money is he, he enters the mayoral, the New York mayoral uh, election as the none of the above candidate. Like he said, don't vote for anybody. None of the above. That's who you should vote for. None of the above. And so that's what made me think of it instantly is that she's the none of the above candidate. My apologies for that five-minute tangent. For the two people who get that, you know. Everyone else, I'm sorry. And my initial thought was just donated all the charity, but I guess that wouldn't make for a very good movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah I mean, I guess, you know, that's, that's the high school stereotype, right? You have the jocks, you have the cheerleaders, you have all the different stuff. And then, yeah, Chloe just represents, like, the rest of the high school. Like, you don't want to be labeled like that. So, mm-hmm. pretty effective when you think about it. Like, that would be, that'd be a pretty good candidate for, uh, for prom queen. Yeah, I would agree. If I had to vote for anyone, it would probably be the other lady because I don't know who she is, but it definitely wouldn't be Dawn. Yeah. No. Uh, so then we go to the cut to the talent and we get again this mean squad, like the way they walk. It's like in, like the, the sound design of like their heels hitting the floor in, in time 
it just very clearly, you know, you can't think of anything else. And they're going over their itinerary. Uh, and we get this, I don't know, is it a funny joke where they're talking about two o'clock is this and three o'clock is this. And then Harmony's like, you should be more worried about 12 o'clock. And Don's like, don't, we don't have to start that early. She's like, no. And then we find out that her boyfriend was like hitting on a freshman and she's definitely not making pep squad, which I thought was low. So I don't know. I, it wasn't great, but it worked for me, I guess. Yeah. I mean, they, you know, they, they play around with like, age a lot on the show and in a way that just like it wouldn't happen in 2022 like you know with jason dating lana with lex like being into lana at all you know with their huge age differences then you have a senior flirting with a freshman like that it's one of those things where like maybe in the in the early 2000s like that plays because you're not really thinking about it but now i was kind of like i I don't know about that that was a little like uncomfortable and i don't think they meant for it to be uncomfortable but uh yeah no i mean don the actress who played Don was just overacting every single scene. But like, also I kind of think it played, like I kind of think it was pretty effective for this episode because the whole thing is just, you know, goofy and can't be. It is. Yeah. You you need someone to overact that role for sure. So I very recently, I got reconnected with some of my grade school friends, like my, my three best friends from the time I was 12 years old, all the way up until we went into college And, and we've, we've remained close but we don't really spend a lot of time together. But recently we, we like, you know what, we haven't anything in years. Let's we rented a cab and went and hung out, spent a weekend. And so we were talking about high school because that's what we did. And we were talking about how, like, when I was a freshman, there were grown ass men. Like, there were, there were, you know, like people that played football or just, you know, these seniors were adults. And even though I was a freshman, ninth grade, I was like a child. And like, just how weird it is that they yeah. put ninth graders into, like, I, I think they should separate nine and 10 on its own and 11 and 12 on its own, but whatever. But that's kind of a thing that did happen. I remember there were freshman girls who dated senior boys in high school. And I was like, that's weird because you see him like making out in the hallways like that's a man and she's a child and they're making out in the hallways and it still seems weird to me but uh, it's not I guess it's not that weird because it does happen there was a song playing under this scene as well and uh, from what I can tell it's good to know by Tim Cullen and some of the lyrics include there we were drunk in public dueling bozos oh just perfect which I think relates to like the public blow up of Don and Billy so it kind of relates to that a little bit and then Don very quickly goes from being upset to saying, get me a yearbook. Now, when I put together all the sound clips for my show, I did a text search for yearbook because I wanted to have a, a sound clip that goes with my let's open the Smallville yearbook. And I couldn't find one. And that's why I ended up going with the John Schneider. Hey, Clark, look who's here to check up on you. And then after this episode, I was like, holy crap, there is one. So now I've actually <laughs> changed it. So in the episodes going forward, when we do the yearbook, my sound clip is, get me a yearbook. So if nothing else, that episode has brought me that, which makes me happy. Ah, we're innovating. I love that. I mean, yeah, Billy and uh, Don are definitely dueling bozos. So they definitely, <laughs> they definitely apply. Oh my Lord. Yeah. Um, okay. So we get another sound drop here and this is, a, a, I assume is diegetic music, which again is when the music is actually in the scene and the characters are listening to it as well. And she appears to be listening to La La by Ashley Simpson. And there really is no strong lyrical connection, but then it, it makes a comeback later. But she's driving while looking at the yearbook while on her phone. That is just straight up not good. Definitely dangerous. And she stops on Clark's picture and, and you can read his uh, quote. I, I assume this is his junior prom or junior yearbook uh, picture. because Obviously not this year. And his quote was, wow, done with another year. But it was definitely another good one. Can't wait for the summer to hang out at Crater Lake with PRCS and the two LLs. 
Thanks, mom and dad, for everything. And of course, I'll still be around the farm to lend a hand. See everyone else next year. I was just saying, like, not only do I think it might be his junior year, I think that might actually be the freshman year yearbook. And the reason <laughs> I say that is you you go later, you can see Lana's uh, you can see Lana's entry as well into the yearbook, and it mentions WF, which is Whitney Fordman, and obviously oh. you know, Whitney only around freshman year. I mean, you know, not even the summer after freshman year. So like, that has to be the freshman yearbook because otherwise, like, why would they include Whitney when he's dead? You know. That, oh. that, Odd that they're carrying around the yearbook from three years ago. I, I'm, I think that was just kind of just a production error or something. Right. I don't really yeah. know like what else it could be. So I'm assuming PRs, Pete Ross, uh, CS, Chloe Sullivan, the two L's, Lionel Luther and Lana Lang, I would assume. Now, yeah. we also see some other people. And this is where I, I did the deep dive and I found a lot of people who work on the show. So there's the name of someone called Michael Hakua, who is an assistant location manager. But he's only credited for an episode that comes six episodes after this one. So again, I don't know why they would put in. You know, we've seen this last couple episodes I've seen where I've, I've found names of people who weren't in the show yet. I don't know how that works. We also see a mall, um, Malsley, or excuse me, Malrezi, almost, I have my apologies, uh, who is credited with deck, directing nine episodes later in the series. There's an Anthony Ashley, uh, who I believe is an assistant editor. There's a Jen Carpenter, who's a second assistant editor. A Caroline Cranston is a costume designer. And a Rob Duncan, who's a second assistant editor. So she calls Harmony. She's wanting to get the, you know, she's going over Clark's uh, stats, basically. And I have to say, this doesn't hurt. The car she's driving doesn't fit the Don Styles character to me. So I think this is clearly just a production decision that they needed to wreck a truck and they wanted it to be an old crappy one rather than like a BMW or something that she comes across as someone with wealth and, and privilege and probably would not be driving what looks to be like a 1980s Bronco or something. I don't know, but. Yeah, there's just no way. That, that's more the type of car that Clark would drive, honestly, coming from the farm. Yeah, this was a very special effects heavy episode. They probably just needed to cheap out on that, which is fine. <laughs> yeah, I think so as well. Uh, but she does wreck because, again, she's not paying attention. Don't drink and drive. Don't text and drive kids. Um, she wrecks into like a gorge. So we get a wrecked car for the episode. And I assume she was dead. It wasn't until later that we realized that she's actually in the hospital in a coma. So she's unconscious. We get an unconscious person and there's all kinds of kryptonite around and her body starts to glow the sort of pink color. Then we immediately cut to night where Martha is driving and we see Dawn walking through the woods. And even though she's supposed to be a spirit, she is interacting with the trees. I don't know if you noticed that. She's having to move limbs out of her waist. Oh, uh, no, she walks into the middle of the road. She's trying to wave down Martha. Martha doesn't see her because she's not really there. She's a spirit. Almost runs through her. And then when they're, you know, physical form and ethereal form touch, she seems to have possessed Martha Kent. And there's a line here where Martha, now possessed by Dawn, looks in the mirror, sees herself, and says something about the lines of, Holy crap. Clark Kent's mom. Now, that seemed just a little bit odd to me because other than my three best friends, Brandon, Bill, and Joe, I've already mentioned, I could not have picked out any of the parents of any of the people I went to school with out of a two-person lineup. Like, there's no way I would have randomly went, oh, that's John Smith's brother. Like, I just, maybe I was just self-involved or something. I guess she does work with the talent, maybe, but that just seemed like an odd thing that she would actually know who that person is. Well, she, I mean, she does remember later, you know, during the second Martha scene, she was like, oh, crap, you know, I, I work at a talent. So she might just know who she is, you know, like, I, I agree with you, it's a little odd, but I'm not, I don't think that's completely unbelievable. Like, I, I can see why Don would know that. Yeah, I mean, this one knows I've watched it three or four times. I'm just, I'm finding little things to nitpick because I've seen it so many times. All right, so we'll go into our second act. Uh, Don is enjoying being in a new body and acts very strangely to Clark. She then goes to the talent and confronts Lana before jumping into Lana's body. 
Don as Lana goes to the school to help with prom setup, but then decides to attack Billy. Clark saves him, pretty sure, but then Don jumps into multiple people before ending up in Harmony. Lana has no memory of getting to school or attacking Billy. So Clark comes home, and now Don is in his mother's body, and she's dancing and singing to that same song, Ashley Simpson's La La, and she's got like eating ice cream, and she's dancing around. So here's again, this is one of my small problems with, with the show. I, this is a great episode, but nothing about that sounds like Dawn to me. Like, like I don't see Dawn doing that. That isn't the Dawn character. You know, maybe it's because she's not in her own body and she can like, you know, eat ice cream and not worry about calories type of a thing. Maybe that's why she's letting loose. But it's, it's the same thing I have with the Shazam movie, which I actually really like. But the actor who plays the kid who turns into Shazam does not act anything at all like Shazam acts when he's supposed to be acting like a kid. There's a bit of a disconnect there, kind of similar to that. But yeah. there, there is something very unsettling about watching Annette O'Toole sing the line. Because I'm pretty sure we know what that refers to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That was hard to watch. <laughs> Funny, but hard to watch. Yeah, you know, Smallville pushing the boundaries a little bit. <laughs> <with that one. laughs> I'll give it yeah, a, a yeah. tool uh, credit though. She went for it. Oh, she killed it. I mean, she, I, I guess I'll talk about it now. She was so good. Like, actress <laughs> on. I mean, all of the, you know, Kristen, uh, Allison Mack, you know, Tom Welling, oh. he's, he's only, who's on the main actor on the show. Uh, yeah, yeah. They all, they all did, you know, I thought pretty good, but I mean, Annette O'Toole just went for it and she killed it. Like she also was the highlight of the episode for me. That, that scene is hilarious. Uh, again, absolutely. will say that laters, uh, laters, but, yeah. laters. Yep. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So, uh, you know, and Don is Martha is finds out that Clark doesn't want to go to prom unless he could go with Lana. And she's like, oh, you're, you guys are so last last year. Uh, and then Lois shows up and she assumes that Lois and Clark are, are having sex on the down low. Like Everything there is just funny, but also sometimes confusing to watch. It's so funny watching Clark's reaction to all of it. So he's, he's just completely baffled. Like, I think Tom plays just like confused and baffled really well. And you can just like, you can see it in his eyes. He doesn't know what's going on. This whole world's being rocked right now. It's really funny. Yeah, I agree. There is this one line where Lois says something about that, you know, they're never going to go to prom. I think she says there'll be a man on Mars before we go to prom yeah. together. Yeah. And, and I have no doubt this was not in any tent, in any way trying to be a setup, but I'm pretty sure that I don't think they actually go to prom, but they do end up going to like maybe like the Smallville reunion, like in season 10. And the Martian Manhunter was introduced in the show before then. So there is mm. sort of a pay that off like seven years later, but I don't think it was intentional. I can't imagine that. I mean, I can't imagine they thought that the show would even last that long. Oh, honestly, yeah. for them to include Martian Manhunters, no way. But yeah, I mean, they, they paid it off. That's good. Yeah. Uh, so we get uh, Martha goes to the Talon. Uh, again, she's still Dawn and she overhears her ex friends or some other people talking about how Billy's now hooked up with someone else. And we get the uh, perfect line of Sue Ann Gardner is a big fat hoe. Oh my God, Annette O'Toole, I love you. And Lana overhears this. It seems like and she's like, are you okay? And then we get a pretty devastating scene actually where Dawn lays into Lana with the whole, I'm a poor orphan boohoo for me. And, you know, again, Lana thinking that was coming from Martha, that's got to sting. 
Oh gosh, yeah. I mean, you know, Martha and Jonathan, like for much of the series, have really you know treated Lana like family, kind of taken her in. I mean, not you know literally, but like right, they, right. they've kind of taken her in in a way like emotionally. And yeah, to hear that's got to sting a lot. And you know, really good again acting from Kristen. Like I don't have to listen to this. Was kind of like off put by it. Uh, mm-hmm. I would have had a much stronger reaction to that if I was Lana. <laughs> I would have been like so just upset. But yeah, yeah, she yeah handled it better than I maybe, I maybe would have. Yeah, there is a song playing under this scene as well. I could not find it. I couldn't make out the lyrics. I couldn't find anything on the internet. It sounds to me like an Avril Lavigne song, but I don't know if that was a thing back then. I don't remember, but I couldn't find it if anyone else did. So at the end of that, though, Don ends up going into Lana. So now Lana is the one infected with Don, and she ends up talking to Clark. And then basically Lana says that I want to go prom with you. Like you're the one I wanted to go with. And at first, you know, Clark is the typical, what about Jason? But then ends up being like kind of okay with it. He's like, okay, I guess yeah. we will go. Because later, um, you know, he's kind of disappointed when it turns out that wasn't what she wanted necessarily. Yeah, I mean, it, it really shows how, I guess, like, you know, in the mythos, you know, Superman really represents the best of us. Because for him to even have the initial reaction of what about Jason is better than 99% of high school guys would do. Like, I mean, honestly, like if Lana comes up to most guys and is like, you don't want to come probably they're like, yes, when, like, let's do it. You know? Right, right, right. They're not, they're not even thinking about like the morality of it. But yeah, his initial reaction, even though he doesn't like Jason at this point in the season, it's like, oh, well, you're dating Jason. We can't do this. You know, right, right. It, it kind of shows his, uh, I guess, elevated sense of morality. Yeah. And the Dawn character is, is very weird because we, you know, we're introduced to her. She's this very entitled, popular, again, mean girl character, but she turns into like a murderer or attempted murderer really quick. Cause I, I mean, I guess technically she kills herself. So that would be suicide, but she wasn't in the body. I don't, I don't understand, but she attacks Billy. And also again, my high school experience was obviously very different. What was Billy doing taking a shower at school at 7.30 at night on the night before prom or whatever. Like, I don't, was there basketball practice? Because he seemed to be the only one there. Is he, is he homeless? Is he using that? Like, I don't understand why he'd be taking a shower there other than we get to see him shirtless. So get a little thirsty scene for those who care to that. And then mm-hmm. Don rips the electrical cord out of a floor buffing machine and then uses it like, does she know how to do that? I wouldn't know how to do that. It gets so dark so quickly. He just, I mean, he electric. I, I thought they killed Billy, and I was surprised they even said that. You know, Billy O made it out okay. It's just he just, yeah, as he said, you know, Lana as Donna or Donna's Lana, I guess, just rips the socket out of the thing, and yeah, just like it, it, it gets so dark. It's like, oh my god. Uh, the the whole school starts to like the lights dim when when Lana slash Don tries to electrocute Billy with the electrical cable against the lockers. Clark zooms in to save, and uh, Billy's unconscious. We got another unconscious person for the episode, and he sees Lana leaving. So then he goes to talk to her, and she doesn't remember anything because Don is now left out of her body. I think she gets like two or three other people pretty quickly, and then ends up in Harmony's body. Got to reiterate that O'Toole absolutely killed it as Don. Um, I do have a little bit, I think, of an issue with Don being so, like, unwilling to even try to fit in. I mean, you know, she, I mean, she makes pretty much zero attempt, like, as Martha or, or I, I mean, especially as Lana, actually, because you see Lana kind of, like, parading through the school, like, yelling at, you know, Don's former friends about the uh, poster being the wrong color. Like, it's it's information and it's stuff that only Don would know, and I get that Don's supposed to be, like, not exactly the brightest bulb in the room, but, like, you would think she'd make some type of effort to at least play the role a little bit. But at the same time, you know, they're trying to be funny. It's, you know, one of those kind of, like, right. can't be funny episodes. Absolutely. So like, I, I think you, you have to look at this episode as 
this is not supposed to be realistic because you would think that if you were in a tragic accident and then your spirit inhabited a body, you would like call the paramedics and say, Hey, my body's at the bottom of a ravine. Try to save life. You would try to get back into your body. But no, she's like, I'm a ghost. I'm going to, I'm just going to start possessing people. Cause I still want my crown. That's the most important thing. Like none of that is realistic, but it's fun. And it's, as long as you're, you know, suspension of disbelief, it's fine. I do really like this episode. I, I'm again, being nitpicky because I watched it so many times that these things are pointing out, but I really enjoyed this episode. Oh, it's a great episode. I mean, it, it's, it's, you know, Smallville does a really good job, in my opinion, of, you know, they, they can kind of play both sides of, like, they have the silly, campy episodes like this one, but then they also, you know, the last one I was on was Legacy, which, I, in my opinion, was one of the best, like, you know, serious, kind of more grounded episodes, and this is just, like, a perfect example of, like I said, not the most realistic in the world, frankly, not the most, like, impactful episode you'll ever see, but it's just, you know, it's just good television, I think. I agree. All right, if you don't mind, will you read the third X summary, please? Absolutely, yeah. Uh, Billy is going to make it. Chloe puts one and one together. Don in harmony visits herself at the hospital and then kills herself. Very, I promise you that wording makes sense. So it's very, very odd. But uh, <laughs> yeah. Jason hacks into Lex's computer and then takes the high road about it. Lois gets possessed and dresses up for prawn and insists that Clark take her. So we're at the school. We're in the torch office. Clark's called and Billy is in the hospital and will make a full recovery. Lana is in there and says she doesn't remember anything. And again, Chloe being Chloe. Why would I ever hurt Billy Durden? You wouldn't, but Don Stiles would. Don, the girl most likely to be prom queen? People were saying that you were acting freakishly like her, and Clark's mom was acting very Donnish before she came back online at the Talon. That's the last thing I remember before blacking out, talking to Martha Kent in the Talon. And Mrs. Kent says the last thing she remembers is driving along Route 54. That's where they found Don's body at the bottom of Carlton Gorge. The mother load of all meteor rock. Nah, she's not wrong, man. I guess you can take these leaps of logic when stuff like this has been happening for four seasons. You know, it's one of those things where if you were a new viewer, you know, maybe Spears, one of the first episodes you ever saw, you, that would be a lot more bothersome than it is to maybe you and me where it's like, well, how, how did she figure that? You know, it's unrealistic, but weirder stuff has happened. Let's be honest, it's small though. Yeah, I, I'd agree. Uh, so the three of them, I'll meet at Smallville Medical Center to kind of check on Dawn. And then Harmony arrives, but we know that she's Dawn. And asking how Don is, and Clark says she's barely holding on, head injuries, severely disfigured. And I know why they had to have him say that, but you would never say that to someone, I don't think, that casually. You would just be like, she's alive. That's all that matters. You know, that just, it's, it was such a weird way. Severely disfigured. You're talking to Don's best friend. It's like, oh yeah, let me run down all the horrible stuff that happens to her. It's like the important thing is she's alive, right? Like, wh- why are we? Why are we yeah. even talking about that? Oh, and again, I don't understand how they did not realize immediately that that was Don. Like, they know Don can jump bodies. Every person they meet, they should be doing a Don check. And then she even says something like she says like her body or her face or something like that. And Clark's right there. He has super hearing the fact that he didn't hear her say that. And then immediately know that that's done. Again, I'm counting that as him using his powers irresponsibly. Yeah. Or not using his powers irresponsibly. Yes. If it will. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, Clark by this point, like it's so frustrating. Like when he chooses to use his powers, when he chooses not to, because all of these episodes could be solved so quickly if you just, you know, use basic stuff like super speed, super hearing, which we know he has. But again, it's high school Clark. You know, he's not exactly, he hasn't exactly figured these things out yet. Absolutely. 
And then we do get a scene. I don't want to dwell on it because this is supposed to be a fun and funny episode. But if you take just a few moments to even think about what it would mean to kill your own body because you're a possessed spirit, that's, this is not the episode to explore that. But it is sort of like wild because for all she knows, the only reason she's still alive is because her body's alive. Like she could have actually been killing herself by killing her body. Like she doesn't know how this stuff works. It just seemed like a weird thing. I'd, I don't think they needed that at all, really. I don't know why they added it again. I don't want to dwell on it, but it just seemed like a weird addition. It was very odd. Yeah, I would love to know like what their rationale was for having Don do that other than maybe they were worried about like, or I should say maybe Don's spirit was worried about, you know, once they brought Don out of the coma, maybe she, her, her spirit would be brought back to Don and then she'd be trapped as this, you know, disfigured, which to her is like worse than, worse than death apparently. Right. Yeah. yeah. Very odd. Very odd. Yeah. Very, very odd. So then we cut to Lex's office and someone is attempting to break into his laptop. They're hacking and there's a bunch of like code, you know, hacking code going up and down on the screen. Uh, Eventually they get in. We learn this is Jason. We see his emails and there are several uh, different emails that we can see there. There's several from a Crosby B, which would be Bridget Crosby about a meeting. There's been a Dr. Sinclair saying that he has fixed the problem, which is probably related to last episode when Dr. Sinclair solved the you know, heat differential issue for the Onyx episode. A T-Hunt has mentioned security breaches at the mansion. A Kalina Kiff has the subject line, hi, remember me. And there's actually an actress named Kalina Kiff who was in Smallville in a previous episode. Um, But then Lex comes in, finds Jason on his computer. And I love how Jason takes the high road. He, He just like, he's just like, you met with this Bridget Crosby and she's dead. And I think you did. Like, it just seems like this weird way, which I guess makes sense if you do get caught, you know, hacking in someone's laptop. If you try to take the high ground, you control the conversation, but it just seemed very presumptuous to me. Very presumptuous. But I, I think he, you know, he knows how intelligent Lex is. He, I don't think wanted to get trapped into a war of words, I guess, with a Lex. So maybe he thought like, Oh, if I just attack him right now, get him on the defensive, but also maybe Jason wasn't really thinking about that much. Maybe he's just acting, mm-hmm. I guess acting emotionally which we see a lot uh yeah again like i, I don't love the storyline like within this week's storyline this to me was probably the best scene honestly in terms of kind of their dynamic their back and forth of you know jason accusing lex and lex kind of uh you know sideways accusing jason you know th- this was a good scene to me even though yeah. like we've said we, i didn't love the overall storyline they're both really good actors it's you know mm-hmm. it's an emotionally charged scene and um you know so i do i think the actors performed admirably but yeah the, the whole storyline here just seemed a little bit off, but it ends with Jason saying that he's going to go to the sheriff because he doesn't want to be part of covering up a murder. So he's basically accusing Lex of mur- murdering Bridget Cosby. And then he goes to get the sheriff, which is, you know, Lex obviously jumps into motion to, to kind of fix that, which we're going to circle back around to was the plan all along, which just makes me confused. We get again, a scene that makes absolutely zero sense, but we have to have it or the show doesn't make sense. So Lois goes to the hospital to complain about a bill and she's talking to the intake nurse at like 7:30 at night you that's not when you talk but one you talk to billing you don't talk to a nurse about a bill that makes absolutely no sense whatsoever and i think she at the end she's like i, I need a prescription the nurse isn't going to write your prescription either like none of that makes sense but we needed lois at the hospital so that don could jump into her body yeah, super odd scene. Like you said, they were just trying to like give Lois an excuse to be in the hospital. But yeah, like n- nothing about that scene made any sense. And I was actually, you know, I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to ask you about it when we got to the scene because it just, it was just contrived. But you know, again, 
it's a contrivance for the sake of moving the plot along, which uh, Smallville is very, I guess, known for. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Uh, so then we come back to the farm and we have Jonathan and Martha are chaperoning the prom, even though Clark isn't going, which is kind of weird. But I do see Jonathan and Martha as the type that if they had said they would earlier, they wouldn't back out just because Clark isn't going to be there now. But it it seems a little bit weird on on the top. And we find out that Martha has went ahead and rented him a tux just in case he wanted to go, which is a very sweet and very much a Martha thing to do. So I like that quite a bit. So again, very quickly, I have somewhat related story. My senior prom is, is the whole thing. I'm not going to go into it, but I didn't think I was going to go. I had a girlfriend for a long time in my senior year and we broken up and I just didn't want to go. And then I had this girl who really liked me and I was terrible to her. Didn't mean to be, but I just wasn't attracted to her. She's a great friend but I wasn't attracted to her. So I didn't want to go to the prom with her, but she kept asking, kept asking. And she basically begged me to go. And I said, no, no. And then the day of prom, I'm like, you know what? I'll go. So same thing. I had to rush and get rent a tux. And I went with her and we had a wonderful time. I feel bad because I think she thought there was more going on. I was literally there just just as friends. It became a thing later. Anyway, it was just, it reminded me of that, that my whole going to the prom last minute thing. Uh, But then we get Lois right after the Kent's leave, comes down, dressed to go to prom. And obviously, Erica Durant is a very beautiful woman. And Clark clearly sees that as she comes down the stairs. Thirsty. It's, they've kind of been hinting at it all season four, right? You know, even though, you know, they're still driving to the eventual, like, Clark-Lana relationship in season five and even, you know, part of season seven, obviously, you know, they're kind of throwing in these little subtle hints about, oh, you know, ultimately Lois and Clark are going to end up together, just like they're doing, you know, the Superman mythos. And this is just another one of those moments. And you see it later at the dance too, when when, uh, Clark, you know, asks Lois to dance, you know, the kind of the initial reaction they both have. Uh, It's just, you know, they're throwing in these nice little nuggets for people. And uh, yeah, no, I, (laughs) Lois is beautiful. Like you said, yeah, I cannot deny that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and actually, she has my favorite line of the episode, which we'll get to shortly. So in the fourth act, uh, Jason leads the sheriff to where the body was left. But surprise, it's gone. The sheriff is none too pleased, but Jason is. This is exactly what he and his mother had planned all along. He has the stone of transference. That's kind of a weird way to, there's a weird pause there. Also, he has the stone of transference. <laughs> At prom, Clark and Lois arrive. Clark and Chloe chat. Chloe wins prom queen and Don inhabits her body for the speech. But when things turn sour, Don promises a reckoning. So just to sort of wrap up the Jason thing. So Jason takes the sheriff to where the body was found. And now there's a gazebo there. And the gazebo looks like it's been there for a hundred years. And the sheriff even says, Well, according to the county records, the gazebo has been here since before the Luthers even heard of Smallville. One, how the hell does she know that off the top of her head? And Two, how did Lex get a gazebo built and covered with vines in less than, you know, two hours? None of that makes sense. But it just, again, it's, if you have that much power, you're smart enough to figure out how to do that, I guess. I just didn't realize that the sheriff of, I guess, a small world police department, like, had all of this access to all this information. Like, she's talking about national databases. She's talking about, like you said, you know, public records for the gazebo, like, like, does she have that memorized? Like, how does she know? Information, yeah, a lot of information that I don't think she would necessarily have access to. But, hey, you know, Sheriff Adams, I guess, you know, she, she knows what she's doing. And so the whole, the whole scheme here was for Lex to hide the disappearance of Bridget Crosby. But up until this moment, someone had enough power to erase Bridget Crosby from the Internet. And make it as if she never existed, because that comes up in this episode, too. And they had already killed her. 
So other than giving Lex a heads up that he is involved in some sort of scheme that he doesn't know all the players yet, but heavily indicating that it's probably Jason and his mother, what was the benefit? Like they play it off like, oh, we use Lex to get rid of this body. You could have thrown that body anywhere. No one was going to be looking for it because no one knows that Bridget Crosby exists. Like it, this is an unnecessary complication to make it seem like Jason and his mother are more devious than they are and show Lex's prowess at being able to cover his tracks. But it doesn't make sense. It doesn't work for me. Yeah, again, I mean, I think it's a reflection of what we talked about earlier, which is they needed to figure out a way to get Jason to turn dark quickly. You know, they knew Jensen Ackles was leaving and they just needed to come up with just contrivance after contrivance to get him to be this like criminal mastermind all of a sudden, which really just does not jive at all with the Jason of the first half of the season, or at least what we thought we knew about Jason uh, the first half of the season. It's uh, really odd. And I'm actually, I'm glad you thought it was odd too, because, you know, I don't have the best memory of like all the season four storylines necessarily, or I just think the continuity like throughout season four. So I was really confused when I watched this episode about this storyline and yeah. I am glad that it was just confusing in general. Cause yeah, I had no idea what was going on yeah. once I got to the scene. I really think this was probably the episode when they knew Jason was going to be having to leave. And so they had to very quickly turn things like it was, it was definitely going that way, but I think this is a re- really much a hard turn. Because it seems pretty clear that he's the one that murdered her because he has the stone that she had. I mean, I guess we're seeing one, he's devious, he's conniving, and he's a murderer. So, you know, in case you were wondering if there's any hope for Jason and Lana, not after this. So we go back to the prom now and Lifehouse is playing. And now they're, they're performing the, the song Blind, right as Lois and Clark alive. And some of those lyrics include, after all this time, I never thought we'd be here, which I think actually really more relates to the Lana Clark that we're going to get to shortly more than anything else. There's just like, you know, there's prom scenes. People are getting punched. Chloe comes in, she's all dressed up. And despite her protest, protestants, she came and sees Clark and she gets that very big smile and a wave. You know, Clark says he didn't want to re- regret not seeing her with a crown on her head, which isn't why he came. He came because Lois kind of made him because Lois is done. But still, like, this is when I'm okay with Clark lined, you know, to, to make people feel better. That's what little white lies are for. Anyway, so it's time for the announcement. Chloe wins, the, the none of the above candidate wins, and Don slash Lois can't believe it. Everyone claps and cheers. But then Don inhabits Chloe's body to go on stage and accept it. And my favorite, again, favorite line of the whole episode is when now that Lois is herself, she looks down at her corsage, she goes, Did you pin that on me? I'll explain later, Lois. Get a place to the food, don't you think? Again, that is such a perfect low, the way they have set her up, that is absolutely the way Lois would handle that. And I thought it was hilarious. Yeah, and Clark handled it the perfect way too, just not knowing what to even, how to even respond to that. He was just like, uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Awkward high school kid that we all once were. Yeah, very much so. Some of us still are. But again, <laughs> so anything else about the, the fourth act here? I feel like we're going through this episode really quickly, but there's not, I mean, other than a few nitpicks, it, it all it flows, it's kind of short, it's snappy. I but I want to give you free time to talk about stuff too. Yeah, I mean, not a ton of lore to talk about, not a ton of, you know, like deep, I guess, like storylines is really, it's just a fun, snappy episode like you were saying. So yeah, it may come off as a little quick, but that's just kind of the nature of it. Uh, I, like th- this to me, like the scene we were just talking about where, you know, Chloe and Mark, or excuse me, Chloe and Clark are like, oh, hi, you know, waving to each other and kind of greeting each other. And then Chloe later talks about, you know, being the nervous freshman once. Like this is, more than almost any other time in Smallville, this is when I remember like really rooting for them to give Clark and Chloe like an actual chance as a couple, you know, other than just yeah. like kind of 
Clark, you know, dancing around Chloe, kind of like keeping her as like a backup option. Like I, I found myself kind of feeling bad for Chloe, honestly, during this episode, because you can tell those feelings are still there. And, you yes. know, she's being, I mean, she's really the only one is being like a genuine, like friends to Clark at this point and just like cares for his best interests. And, uh, and, and even, you know, believes in him at this point more than Chloe, which we see at the end. So like, I, I found myself being like, oh, I wish going into season five, instead of doing the whole Clark Lana thing again, I wish they'd given Clark and Chloe, you know, maybe a half season or a season together, but now, yeah, we all know I mean, that's kind of not how it goes. So. And that's true. But I mean, really, if you think about it in the big picture, I do think that the Lana Clark thing has played out. And I, I hate the way it ends up circling back mm-hmm. around to at the end. Like, I just absolutely despise that part of the storyline. So why not give a Clark and Chloe relationship a chance and just let them realize we're better as friends? You know, yeah. so then, you know, there's a bittersweetness to it, but they get to have that moment. They get to explore those feelings. And, you know, Chloe comes to realize that she she still loves Clark, but not in that way. And as much as Clark loves her as a friend, he doesn't love her that way. And then you can pretty much have the whole, everything else still happens the same. She ends up dating Jimmy and all that could work, but we could have had them have like a season where they tried, it doesn't work. And I, I think that would have been great. I would, I would have loved that. Don does give a pretty interesting speech. I do, I do love the line. She says, that I will always remember and you will never forget. That's a pretty snappy line. I like that. Whoever wrote that one, good on you. I like it. Chills, chills. That was great. And, and Alice, I mean, I hate praising Allison back, but like her delivery was so good. Like that whole speech, you know, especially when she kind of does the dark turn at the end. Uh, yeah, yeah. Just really, really good stuff. If you don't mind, will you read that fifth act summary, please? We circle back to the cold open with Chloe knocking out Jonathan and preparing to burn the school down. Clark stops Don before she possesses him, and then Jonathan arrives to save him, and Don moves on. Clark and Lana share a dance. So now we got Lifehouse playing again. This time they're singing Come Back Down. So this is the same song that we heard in uh, the cold open. We see again Chloe walking through the school, grabbing an axe, knocks out Jonathan. And we go to the boiler room. Clark finds his dad, who says who it seems like he's awake the whole time, but the scene doesn't make any sense unless he was at least knocked unconscious for a little bit. So I'm saying that he was knocked unconscious for my counts. And then Clark says, I need you to go get something for me, but we're not told what, again, I love this episode. Maybe I guess he's assuming that he might get possessed because he's going to go confront Don, but still that's a bit of a leap of logic. Cause he's, that shows more forethought than Clark almost ever shows. So the fact that he does it plus where did Jonathan go? Did he go back home? Because we know they keep kryptonite at home. Or did he just go out in the field? Because it's Smallville. There's probably like, he just, you know, one shovel full of dirt and you're going to find three. Like, where did it come from? There is absolutely no way. Clark was already down the boiler room. There's no way that Jonathan was able to drive home, grab the kryptonite, drive back, meet Clark in the boiler room, all in the time it took for Clark to get down there. Like, it just, it's not happening. Like, right. it's, uh, yeah, it's just a, a bit of a leap of logic there, but. I guess you got to do what you got to do there. Yeah, again, maybe they keep some in the glove box just in case, you know, like the registration to the, the truck. <laughs> just, Clark's always a, a little sick when he drives. He never knows why. Maybe that's why. Who knows? Yeah. So we, again, we're seeing the other side of the scene, but Clark zooms down there. He catches the mop that uh, Chloe slash Don had thrown in the cold open before it hits the oil. And then Clark asks Don to release Chloe, and she does, but then she goes into Clark. And we get the second best line of the episode where Clark, like, takes the tiara and backhands Chloe and says, crown's mine, bitch. <laughs> um, again, it's awful. I don't want to see Chloe get slapped like that, but it, the scene's freaking hilarious. 
think he like destroys her now. Like, like she, like she's dead, right? Like, I mean, she, she like yeah. super speeds, crash and thing. Like, how is she, you know, not only not dead but also conscious enough to then like see Clark getting impacted by the Kryptonite later? Like that again, another thing that made no sense. Yeah, I am counting her as going unconscious because she had to have won out at least momentarily. Even though There's later no she fakes it. Because when she has Clark's body, that's when Jonathan shows back up with that kryptonite that we don't know where he's got that starts to hurt Clark slash Don and it forces Don out. And then the last we see is her spirit rising into the sky and dissipating. I mean, she's an awful person, but are we supposed to take hope that perhaps she's went to a positive place or am I reading too much into it? Like, you know, she didn't go down into the ground when she dissipated. I mean, that's a very existential for a small bluff. So I'm trying, I'm trying to think about it. Maybe I I didn't get that like immediate vibe from it, but you're right. But she does kind of go like up into the ether, into the stars. So maybe that is what they're going for. Now that you say that, very possibly. Uh, so then we get to our our scene we did for the cold open. Lois is just way too chill with the fact that she's been possessed for a few hours and came to the prom with Clark. She's like, oh yeah, they told me possession. Yeah, no biggie. Like, how long has she been in Smallville that she can be that just casual about a possession? anyone yeah no yeah she's just like oh i got possessed okay cool where's the punch you know very yeah very odd reaction very very odd. so according to the internet the version of what day it is we are listening to is the life house life house wedding mix i don't know if that's true but that's what the internet says and i do want to talk very briefly about the end of the scene we did for our cold open where clark does sort of say we're here would you like to dance? And Lois is like, you know, no, she'll really noted, but you know what? I'm not the one you want to dance with. She is. And she points over and you see Lana coming in and Kristen, I don't know if she's ever looked more beautiful in the show than she does coming in with that dress. Mm-hmm. She's absolutely gorgeous. And there is this moment where Lois kind of looks hurt slash disappointed. And for me, I think this, she fully expected Clark to go because obviously it's Lana, but I think she wanted him to protest maybe one more time. You're like, no, I mean, we can, I can dance with her later type of thing. But Clark, the moment he sees Lana, it's like Lois doesn't exist. And I do think that bothered her a little bit. Yeah. And I mean, it kind of, and maybe I'm jumping a bit too far ahead here, but the conversation that Lois and Chloe have, I guess the scene after this where, you know, Lois is like, oh, you know, you're too good for Clark. And now you're about to go into Metropolis to all this great thing. It's like, Clark can't, can't keep up with you. And then Chloe, you know, obviously having seen the kryptonite thing, you know, Chloe's like, oh, you know, I think there's more to Clark than meets the eye. Maybe there's more they're giving credit for. Like, that I think is Clovis's way of handling disappointment. And I think mm-hmm. we see that throughout Small Blows. She kind of like puts it aside. She's like, oh, you know, kind of flipping about it. Oh, it's not that big of a deal. And I, I think that is actually pretty in line with her character for her to just kind of, you know, dismiss Clark to Chloe because yeah, yeah. I, I agree with you. She did look a little disappointed. And I, I think that's a good kind of character moment really for Lois and Chloe, honestly, for right. them to both react the way they did. And it does, it feels like a real moment too. I mean, again, just, so I think she just wanted Clark to be a little bit more, hesitant before he just ran off to Lana and she didn't quite get that. And I think in the very next episode, uh, which is also one of my favorite ones of the season, there's another moment where, where Lois once again tells Chloe, you're too good for Clark. You shouldn't, you know, don't worry about him type of a thing. So I think that is consistent with her throughout. Uh, but so the Lifehouse song, what day uh, is it starts to play is Lana and Clark get their dance. And some of the lyrics, it's you and it's me, nothing to lose. And I don't know why I can't keep my eyes off of you. So again, in that moment, they're not back together, though there are feelings, obviously, and Jason's about to be out of the picture, but I think that fits very well with what's happening in the, in the episode. Yeah, I mean, that, that song's an absolute banger. I think it's called yeah. You and Me, actually. It's like one of Lifehouse's biggest songs. Okay. Mm, it, it, just, it fits the scene perfectly. That was incredible. 
Yeah, it might be the uh, the internet letting me down for a change. So, uh. so Martha and Jonathan look on, and Martha looks a little bit concerned at first, like maybe not sure what's happening. It's kind of a weird moment from her, but then Jonathan kind of like distracts her, and they start to dance. And it may have just been Martha wanting to kind of get in the way. She seems to do that. She's you know she's very much a matchmaker, and I think she wants to see Lana and and Clark together. It seems like so maybe that was her thought there. But it, it was a kind of a weird look from a meadow tool. I didn't quite understand, but whatever it was. Jonathan distracts her and they start to dance. Clark and Lana look absolutely picture perfect. And of course, then we get the scene of Jason mirroring the scene of Clark looking at Whitney and Lana from the first episode. Now Jason looks on at Clark and Lana and then turns and walks out very much a a darkness on his face. And he's in shadow that this probably doesn't bode well for Clark and the Jason relationship. Why is Jason allowed within 500 feet of the school? I mean, I, th- I thought the whole point was, oh, he was dating a student. Like, wh- why is he not in cuffs as soon as he gets in that room? It was my bigger question. But yeah, I mean, what a moment. Like, what a, what a final scene. You know, it's one of kind of the iconic Smallville scenes, that if, even if you don't necessarily root for Clark and Lana as a, uh, as a couple, I guess, throughout the yeah. scene. Or throughout the ser- series, I should say. I mean, just what a beautiful way to close the episode. It was uh, picture perfect, like you said. Absolutely agree. So again, I feel like we went through this episode pretty fast, but if there's anything you want to circle back to, individual scenes, whatever, here's your time. Talk about whatever you want to talk about if we missed it or just go back to it. Yeah, great episode overall. I mean, it's, you know, like we were saying, the uh, Jason Lana, or not Jason Lana, the uh, the Jason Lex storyline didn't necessarily fit tonally, but despite this being kind of a campy, kind of cheesy, you know, one of the more silly, I guess, episodes in Smallville, like a lot happened. A lot happened both in terms of, advancement of, of relationships advancement of characters like you know we jason made kind of the final turn where he's you know irredeemably evil now we found out he was responsible for the murder you know clark and lana are kind of having that official moment where they're kind of you know circling each other and now trying to get back together so this really was you know despite this being a goofy episode totally like a lot happened here and you know you said yeah. at the very beginning it was like it was packed and that's why we were able to kind of fly through it while we were talking about it i mean this uh this honestly is one of the I guess, bigger and more impactful episodes of the season in terms of just moving storylines along. I, I very much agree. Um, you, we, I could have done without Jason and Lex in this episode, but without it, yeah. it would have been half an hour. Like it goes so quick and the, and the scenes that they, they all just kind of flow together and make sense. We didn't really have a strong, like we had the B plot, which was the Jason and Lex thing. And it, it was so basically disconnected. I don't know what they, you know, they could have put filler, but I think it works overall. I really enjoy the episode. Like all the things I nitpicked were just because, again, I've watched it almost too many times that I start to notice the things. But when I'm watching it, I'm enjoying it. I'm laughing at the right places. I'm, you know, emotional at the right places. And again, I don't, I don't I'm kind of over the Clark Lana thing, but it was nice that they got their dance. I will say that from that, you know, the, sort of the echoes and mirrors, I'm really glad that they circled back their senior year. They got to have their dance. And you have someone looking on at them the way Clark looked at Whitney. And like, that's just pretty good writing. Like, I have to say, again, like, I don't think it was planned from the beginning, but they found a way to, to circle back and close some loops that was very satisfying. So overall, loved this episode. Absolutely a banger. Enjoyed it. Would watch it again. I think Clark and Lana deserve the chances a couple, especially like given the Smallville, I guess, framing of it being this high school years. I just wish it had happened like two seasons ago because mm. it's just been, it's been too much back and forth, like you said. But yeah, I mean, beautiful moment, even if you don't necessarily root for the couple. So I like to look at all the episodes through the lens of Man versus Superman. As I said before, I think that's what the creators were looking for when they wrote the show originally was Clark's, you know, uh, he has a heritage of a Kryptonian, the destiny to become Superman, but he wants to be the all-American boy, eat apple pie, play football, have the girl next door, but he can't. 
So with that in mind, do you have any particular thoughts about this episode? Do you think it leans one way or the other? Do you think there's any themes that this episode brings to the fore for that reason or anything? I think, you know, season four as a whole, it's kind of playing more on the man aspect of that duality of the man versus Superman. You know, he is the football captain. It is the most, I guess, high schooly season of uh, the four initial ones, at least. It's kind of him exploring that side of, you know, what would it be like to be, you know, kind of a popular, just all-American student at this uh, at this school? And, you know, for this episode, it really is just kind of like a uh, culmination of that storyline that's been going throughout all, all season four is, you know, he goes to prom, he, you know, quote unquote, gets the girl. I, I, I don't like that phrase, but like, you know, he gets the girl, Amana, and uh, mm-hmm. that's, um, it, it's kind of just, you know, coming along to, you know, obviously in season five, we'll see more of, you know, you, you get introduced to the Kryptonians, right? Yeah, you, you get introduced to the Kryptonians, you get introduced to, you know, all these kind of more Superman-y aspects. And this, to me, like this episode and then the uh, final couple episodes, of the season after kind of that transition from man to Superman that you were talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, yeah. I agree with you. I think this is a very much a man episode because he does get the things that he wanted. He got to go to the prom with his friends. He got to have the dance with the girl of his dreams, but the Superman stuff was just pushed aside. Like this didn't solve everything. He's not with Lana now because he can't be with Lana because he can't be truthful with her, but they can still have this moment. It's sort of really reminiscent of how he got to play football in high school and he led the Crows to a championship, but then he realized, I can't keep playing. I can't go to college because it just, it isn't going to work. It's too much pressure. I'm sure it'll, something will go wrong. So he had the moment, you know, he had the senior year. He had this dance, very much man-centric. He got to be the things that were man, but he can't hold on to them. He can't keep them as we'll see in the, in the, as the show goes on. But for me, this was very much a man episode because really, the the powers had very little to do with the episode. You know, Don was the 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 perpetrator of moving things forward. And yes, he was able to stop her because of his powers, but who's to say they couldn't have figured it out some other way given enough time? It was just a convenient way to get Don to move on and that kind of thing. So yeah, definitely a man episode for me. And and I've always thought that the uh, Clark Lana relationship in Smallville and and this is not a take that I've necessarily like seen like on the internet. So I, I may just be like wrong about it because I haven't necessarily like seen other people agree with me when I say this, but I've always thought that like the whole point of the Clark Lana relationship on Smallville was that Lana would be, I, I should say Lana and Clark would be perfect for each other if Clark was mortal, if Clark was a man. You know, you see that in the mortal episode in season five. It's like they, that's the happiest they ever are is when they're together and Clark doesn't have this burden of being Superman on his shoulders. But ultimately it is, like you said, that second side uh, that kind of dual side of uh, Clark's identity where he is Superman, where he has all these secrets. Like that's what drive Lo- uh, Clark and Lana away from each other. And I-, I always thought the whole like Lana versus Lois thing is, oh, you know, Lana's perfect for the man. And then Lois is perfect for both the man and the Superman. Mm-hmm. If that makes any sense. No, it does. I think that's, that's great. Um, so it's now time for the pass the torch question. What would you like me to ask next week's co-host? Yeah, you know, so uh, Don was mentioning how prom's, you know, the biggest moment of your high school life. You know, you, you brought up your prom story, you know, that people I'm sure have their own experiences. Uh, I want to know for, I guess, you in the next episode and for your future guests, what was the most memorable moment from your high school life? Could be positive, could be negative. I just want to know, like, if you take one memory from high school, like one event or one thing that happened to you, uh, what would that be that you've kind of carried with you from high school? All right, fair enough. So this is the end of the show where you get a chance. I don't know if you are involved in any projects, but if you have anything you want to plug, if you have social media, if it's not even a project you're a part of, but there's just like, if you listen to something else and you want to give it a shout, now's the time. 
podcast I've been listening to a lot of, if you're at all interested in history, it's called the Fall of Civilizations podcast. It's a pretty big podcast, pretty popular, but uh, it's honestly one that, you know, second only to this one. It's, you know, the second best podcast I've ever listened to. It's about just uh, throughout history, the rise and fall of different uh, civilizations. Uh, like they recently did one about, you know, the the Inca, um, you know, about the Inca civilization, you know, China's Han Dynasty, the Aztecs, just uh, it's this really well-made, really informative uh, podcast to listen to that I have nothing to do with, but would definitely recommend that's kind of been, I've been binging that recently. And then if you care about, you know, myself personally, I, I am, I don't run it, but I'm on a Twitch channel. It's Better League Network. It's a, uh, it's a Madden league, you know, I don't know how much that crossover there is between Smallville and Madden, but uh we commentate games, you know, we do production, stuff like that. So uh, if you're listening to this, give us a follow and uh, we appreciate you listening. This is a fun episode. Yeah, absolutely. And again, I'll put links in the show notes to make it easy for people to get there if they want to check it out. Um, as for myself, quickly, you can find me at the RPG Academy. Pretty much everything I do can be found over there. Except for this show, it has its own email. It's smallvillefancast at gmail.com. So if you have any comments, questions, concerns, please email us. Let us know what you're thinking. Um, if you haven't yet left, left a review and you have the ability to do so, please consider it. We're up to 28 now. Um, I just, I'm on a thing called chartable every week. They send me, um, the updates of where we are and we hit number two in Malaysia for TV and reviews. I went and looked, that was three listens. So apparently there's not a lot of Malaysian (laughs) stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, again, I said before Talkville, it's going to dominate the space. So I'm a little bit worried about our show continuing to grow, but those of you who are listening, thank you. Can't ask for more than that. I appreciate you, you do listening. Emails are great. Comments are great. Um, reviews are great as well. So thank you for that. Uh, we will continue to put the information in the show notes for the text crisis line, the Trevor Project, and the National Suicide Prevention Hotline. If you did not hear, uh, very recently, there's now a National Suicide Prevention Hotline. It's now 988. So you can call that um, if you can't remember the actual number, if you need something like an emergency. Uh, and just remember to stay after the scoreboard or after the end credits for the scoreboard. Farm to Fable is a Smallville rewatch fan cast and is not officially affiliated with DC Comics, Warner Brothers Television, the CW Network, or any other owners of Smallville and or its related source materials. As such, these companies retain sole ownership of all symbols, images, names, logos, and other proprietary material related to Smallville. Our use of logos, images, names, likenesses, and sound clips are being used under the Fair Use Guidelines. Our logo was created by Michael Waldschlager II. You can find Michael on Twitter at LoserMLW. Farm to Fable is written, edited, and produced by me, Michael Ross, with additional input by weekly co-hosts as credited in each episode's show notes. And now, let's check the scoreboard. So, total number of vehicles wrecked. We're now at 64, with Dawn driving off the road from her distracted driving while looking for a replacement prom date. Total number of times a person is knocked unconscious. We're now at 224 with first Jonathan being knocked out by Chloe slash Dawn during the prom, though technically in chronology it happens later. Dawn is unconscious and in a coma after she wrecks her truck into Carlton's gorge. Billy is unconscious after he's electrocuted by Dawn slash Lana because he broke up with Dawn and made out with some other woman. Clark knocks Chloe unconscious when he backhands her after Dawn possesses him and steals the crown back. So looking at our main cast, Lana has been knocked unconscious 23 times, Lex 20, Clark 17, Chloe now 14, Jonathan Kent now 12, Martha 6, Lionel Luther 3, Jason Teague 3, and Lois Lane twice. I am not counting them being possessed, even though I guess technically they lost time, but I'm not counting that as being knocked unconscious. 
Uh, total number of times someone goes to the hospital, we're now at 93 with Billy being taken there after Don tries to electrocute him. And then we later find out that Don was there after her wreck uh, in Carlton's Gorge. So looking at our main cast, Lana has been to the hospital eight times, Jonathan Kent eight times, Chloe six, Lionel Luther five, Lex Luther four, Martha three, Clark three, Jason Teague twice, and Lois just once. And finally, the total number of times Clark tells her show someone other than Lana's abilities, we're now at 93 with three asterisks. 